Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick, from Pull String Press for this great studio. Good morning, Patrick. Hi, Mark. I always feel like when I pull that music out, you kind of like long for it a little bit to keep going in your life. I do. Like, I, I should have this theme it's, music. It's a soundtrack of my life. <laughs> Just following you around. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm having chips implanted in my ear so that I can just hear it all It would explain why you walk down the street kind of bouncing along. That's it. Anybody who's seen me knows that's true. I would love you to meet Matthew Finup, who is visiting us from the lower part of the 805 down at California Lutheran University. Matthew, how are you? Hey, I'm terrific. Thanks so much for having me. The thing is, there's four interviews with you. And we're going to try to get four. I don't like think we set four, that much time aside. We, we didn't. So um, so our, our user, you may want to bring out a scorecard and, and keep track. Because um, you, I want to start with photography. How How... Did Brooks come on your radar? Um, so, uh, you know, as you may know, my background is not that of a typical economist. So nope. right, at, right out of high school, I went actually went into art school, studied studio art at the University of Michigan, uh, and took my first photography class uh, and just absolutely loved it. My father was a, uh, uh, was a devoted amateur photographer and, and lent me a bunch of his Nikon lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could take this class and just loved it. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, I was studying architecture in Los Angeles uh, and decided to take a photography class at Santa Monica College uh, and had an incredible experience. Uh, most of my classmates were uh, actually professionals in the film industry trying to hone their visual skills. Right. My, my right. classmate had just won um, uh, the Sundance Film Festival, and that's the caliber of student, and my professor was a Brooks grad. Uh, and so that was a really transformational, creative experience. And ever since that class, I thought, man, someday I'm going to go to Brooks. And so you went to Brooks and Ventura. Uh, well, I started in Santa Barbara, so I was during that right. transition period. Started on film, finished on digital, started in Santa Barbara, finished in Ventura. And now, unfortunately, Brooks is a memory. That's right. Right? Brooks is gone. Yep. Yeah, um, part of the one of the victims of the assault on for-profit education that's happened the last wow, few years. Wow, there we go. Yeah. The assault was, on for-profit, I caught that. That was really properly <laughs> articulated. Yes, that was, really that was nice. exactly yeah, that's, right. That's what I was thinking in my head when you mentioned <laughs> So Patrick is an art professor. Yeah, yeah. So in we, my spare you know, time. In his spare time. Yeah. So so your tell us what your full-time work is now. Yeah, so I'm the executive director of the Center for Economic Research and Forecasting at California Lutheran University. Which um, is exactly what all Brooks graduates go on to do. <laughs> it's a perfect output. So we are uh, m- uh, most well known for our economic forecast product. Mm-hmm. So we do quarterly uh, national and state economic forecast publications. Uh, we also do an annual regional forecast publication. Uh, and that's really the work that SURF is most well known for. Uh, and that's work that was built by my predecessor, Bill Watkins, who's well known to the show. Uh, and my colleague Dan Hamilton at mm. CLU. Uh, and actually, just to, to pat those guys on the back, last year our forecast uh, was actually chosen second most accurate in the nation from among 80 
uh, professional forecasting houses by the National Association of Business Economists. So it's a tremendous accomplishment, especially for you know the small operation that we have at CLU. Did the did the number one get it right though? Did are they? Well, actually, we were the se- we were. We were merely the second least wrong. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great, I am often that person in my family. <laughs> yeah. A family of two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and actually, the the winning outfit was Fannie Mae, which you can imagine. Oh, that's you know, a, they that's have an entire building full of economists. So, yeah. uh, um, so it was quite an honor. And then the other work that we do is uh, surf. This is really my interest and my emphasis um, is I'm interested in policy work. You know, actually, not just assessing you know, what the current situation is, but talking about what are the policies that matter and what are fundamental changes that we can make that will improve the economic outlook for the region. So is it fair to say then that SURF looks at things that already happen? Well, the the word forecast is in there, so you're looking Mm -hmm. forward, but you kind of have to look backward. You bet. Right, right. And that you probably are, not probably, because of how much energy and interest you have in this, you're the world expert on this region's economy. Fair enough. I'm going to endow you with that superpower <laughs> okay, right wow. now. Okay? We don't need to vote on that one. Yeah, <laughs> you're it. You're the guy, okay? So one would think then that rather than trying to go and influence policy, you can actually study and, I mean, do that in writ large. Yeah, So we're and, and we're doing those things, obviously, you can't be forward-looking, trying to impact policy if you don't, if you're not studying what has happened and what have been the impacts. And that isn't isn't always the case in these forecast projects, is it? This is something new you've brought to it. Well, I would say this: that uh, Bill and Dan always had a strong uh, policy orientation. So in their writing, you would see recommendations about changes that would improve the economic outlook. What's different is that I've spent the last two years deeply involved in a, in a stakeholder process which has produced changes to policy uh, uh, and, um, and my academic research is oriented towards specific policies. Uh, and so I wouldn't say this is not something I, I bring that's unique that didn't exist before. It's just a real dramatic expansion of that aspect of what SURF does. So give us an example because the, the people that are listening yeah. are literally all over the world, yeah. right? And uh, I'm guessing there's someone like you in most communities, mm-hmm. right? And there's something that where they can go and get this kind of information and read it. Because I know you fill up, well, you get a thousand people that come to listen to your annual report, something like that. Uh, not quite that many, but yeah, we. But a we lot. Hundreds, you fill a hall. Hundreds of yeah, people. Yeah, you fill a hall. Yeah. And um, give us an example of a, pol- a recent policy change where yeah. this research affected something. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, in Ventura County, uh, there's been a really remarkable process that's unfolded. Uh, it actually, uh, the origin of this policy change was among the growers. So Ventura County um, has a robust uh, agricultural right, industry. Right, sure. And some of the most valuable agricultural land in the world is in Ventura County. And we also have a water shortage. Uh, we not only had a five-year drought, but we have a water shortage in Ventura County that persists even in a- years of average rainfall. And we're removing more water from the ground than is being put back. Okay. Uh, and so the water shortage is acute here. In fact, we're still in a state of drought, even though 76% of the state is no longer in a state of drought. And uh, over the last few years, there's been an amazing process that I've been privileged to play a role in, um, which is that growers um, developed a set of policy recommendations. They built consensus in the agriculture industry and then brought in 
representatives of the cities, brought in representatives of environmental groups, uh, and built, we built consensus around this set of ideas and proposed to the regulator fundamental changes to the way groundwater is managed. Uh, and um, those changes are now being implemented. Uh, and we're actually moving to a market system of allocation uh, in Ventura County where uh, individual water users will have the flexibility to transfer groundwater pumping between users uh, and, frankly, to, to be remunerated when they can actually conserve, right? They can be rewarded financially for conserving water. How do they find that out? Like how does, so, so you, you know, when, when we mention individual constituents, so I, and I'm trying to imagine like, you know, that's, you're talking about farmers or water users. How do they, how does, how does your information get to them? Um, so again, what's, what's really remarkable is that, first of all, that community is proactive uh, and, and uh, was already trying to influence other policies. So there was a group called the Growers Group that, mm. was, that met regularly with regulators um, to deal with a number of issues. And then in the face of the drought, um, uh, you know, it was obvious we really needed to change the way water is allocated, uh, that the current system wasn't working, that there were going to need to be significant cuts to water use. Uh, and so the growers group got repurposed uh, and expanded to include cities and to include environmental groups. Uh, and then this broad stakeholder group uh, met for seven months. Wow. Um, and again, you know, we're, I'm talking about California, I realize, right? That, uh, we don't often hear right. stories about right. cities and farmers, farmers and environmentalists right. meeting and, right. and listening to each other and compromising. Um, and then after seven months, that stakeholder group, which has about 50 members, um, voted unanimously to approve a set of recommendations. So this is... That, that must be... I mean, yeah. to have a unanimous vote like that, that's not, that's not that's a bunch tough. of compromise. That's yeah. a bunch of good ideas, yeah. right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and so the work that's being done in Ventura County is remarkable. Just to highlight some of the pieces of this is that we're going to move from... Uh, currently, you know, uh, if you change what you grow, you can pump more water. You know, if you were growing citrus and you switch, you cut your trees down and you switch to berries, you could increase the amount of water you pump which is to say there's really no limit on the amount of water that can be pumped right. uh, and we're overdrafting aquifers. We're going to move to fixed allocations huh. where each individual water user, this is the cities as well as the farmers, uh, will have fixed allocations. You have a certain amount you have to live with. We're going to cut that over time to reduce the total groundwater extraction to a sustainable level. Because we're really anti-farmer, right? That's really secretly what's happening. No, well, <laughs> I'm, that's, I'm leading you, obviously. Yes. I'm, I'm We're pro, yeah, I, I'll, if I have a bias, uh, uh, I am, I am pro-farmer. And, yeah. and what I'll hold up here is that they are the source of groundbreaking change. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so anyway, so as we c implement those cuts, there's going to be pain. And the question is, how do we... Uh, how do we give them the flexibility to adapt to that? Mm -hmm. and, and so we're going to have a market where water transfers between farmers, water transfers between cities and farmers, farmers and cities. Is this really about bringing um, agriculture into the modern era and bringing water allocation? Yeah, so I would argue, I would actually argue it's taking the tremendous innovation that we have seen in agriculture for the last two decades and trying to uh, replicate it outside of ag. Oh, so ag. So, and becomes, I would hold, yeah. I would hold this up. Uh, um, uh, over the last 15 years, uh, berry production. These are the most water, right? Um, thrift, not water thrifty. There's the most water, water hungry. Yeah, They're water hungry. Plant. Little red sponges that yeah. we like to eat. That's yeah. right. Uh, so berry production has increased about 400 percent in Ventura wow. County. During that time, total agricultural water use has remained the same. Right. So that is a. How is that? That's a story of fabulous innovation. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, and and that's that that doesn't surprise. I, I'm no longer surprised when I see that in agriculture. Hmm. And so we're taking that and now trying to create incentives that will see that kind of fabulous innovation within the cities, and we are seeing it. Uh, and that uh, even environmental water use um, can be part of that process. We had uh, Bill Camarillo, the yeah. CEO of AgroMin, yeah. in, and he taught us about um, how their scientists had studied that when uh, we have water, it really needs to stay in the top two inches, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? That's where it's needed. Sure. Yep. And and so they figured out how to make an amendment that, mm-hmm. I forget the name of the product, but uh, an amendment that actually solves this problem yeah. in yeah. a big way. Yeah, another one that's really cool, uh, and uh, Driscoll's, uh, many listeners will know that Driscoll's berries, um, one of the largest producers of raspberries in the country, they have a strong presence in Ventura County, uh, and their affiliated growers and other berry growers are actually starting to grow raspberries in substrate. It's Even though the plant is sitting on the ground, yes. there's actually a, a tub and inside that is coconut bark mm. uh, and they put ex- only the amount of water that's needed, only the amount of nutrients and there's no loss of that water or nutrients to the soil. Uh, and so they've made dramatic cuts to the amount of water that's used. It, it, so I'm, I'm, educate me on this professor. Uh, so there's carbon credits in in other kind of manufacturing. Is this, yeah. Did you look at how yeah, carbon so, credits are done? So this is a lot. So what we're doing, implementing in Ventura County, is a cap and trade system for water. Got it. Right. So in fact, the lessons are directly from what's happened with carbon. And actually, the lessons that we've studied even more closely are from uh, fisheries. Hmm. So some of the earliest oh. environmental markets were um, uh, the Alaskan halibut fishery, other fisheries where uh, what you had was you had the same kind of race to the bottom that we have and wa- we had in water just a couple decades ago, where uh, the way they managed fisheries is they just shortened the season, right? If we were over-harvesting fish right. and the fishery was de- in decline, we just shortened the season. Well, they got down to it in some fisheries to a one-day derby. <laughs> and we're, uh, Catch as much as you can in one day. And then yeah. people were willing to throw caution to the wind and they became very dangerous fisheries. It wasn't good for the fish. It wasn't good for the fishermen. And what they did is they quantified the rights. They said, each of you can has a certain fixed catch that you're allowed. Um, if you want additional catch, you can pay someone else not to catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and the fisheries are considered um, the tremendous successes, uh, you know, where they're using environmental markets to solve a, a large uh, problem. And so we're talking about the same thing now in water. And, and those are the, the fisheries are actually where we're looking to for lessons. I like that you're going cross-disciplinary. You're yeah. looking outside, right? And, uh, and as you said, the solution goes beyond ag, goes to, because the cities use a lot of water and the counties use a lot yeah. of water. I like when smart wins. Right. Like, I just like when smart wins. Yeah. Where, when it's just like, because there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in that. There's a lot of, like, you know, heritage and, like, my family's been fishing for four generations. You can't stop me from fishing. Right. And, like, no, how about we just go smart? How about we right. just the best the best solution wins? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Best idea. Yeah. I, I'm curious, um, how much publicity are you getting for this? Sounds groundbreaking to yeah. me. Well, so what's interesting is uh, we've been really cautious um, about how much to publicize this um, sort of through journalistic channels. We're just starting that effort now to craft press releases and that sort of thing because the reality is we're trying something that's never been done before. There's going to be hiccups. Mm -hmm. There's going to be things we didn't anticipate that we'll need to correct. So we've taken a a, a sort of humble, adaptive approach. Um, And so so that means we don't want 
you know, we want the success to speak for itself. Uh, and so we're engaged in a pilot right now uh, among a, um, as a group of agricultural water users to, to build this market, to implement the technology. There's going to be, uh, there's going to be um, telemetric hardware monitoring groundwater extraction for the first time ever. When a farmer turns on a well, uh, there will be a piece of hardware that reads the meter and actually transmits that data in real time to the cloud. Yep. Um, so there's a level of monitoring that's unprecedented, uh, and so we're still designing all those systems. Um, and uh, where we've gotten a tremendous amount of attention is in the policy world and in the academic world. So we're hearing, you know, we heard from um, uh, the Kansas Department of Agriculture. They run a water bank uh, where they have trouble getting... They get, yeah, a groundwater bank where they bank, they store water in the ground. But their water bank, they've had trouble um, securing voluntary participation by farmers. Farmers don't Mm. trust the government. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, this is a government-run water bank. We're just going to withhold participation. Uh, And so they came to us and said, how is it that you're getting Mm. farmers Mm. as the drivers of change? How are you getting so much participation? So we're hearing from them. Um, We are, uh, obviously, we've gotten the attention of, um, large corporations that run water markets in other parts of the world have said, oh, my gosh, what Ventura County is doing is so unique. We want a piece of this. You know, we want to be the ones uh, setting up an electronic exchange and, and actually you know, taking a cut from each of those transfers. Uh, so, so we have heard from um, uh, the largest, actually the company that runs the largest voluntary carbon uh, market in the world on the Chicago Board of Trade has been in touch with us. Okay, so, uh, so there's so, a lot. There's a lot of interest. Right. Yeah. Not not to give away proprietary information, yeah. but how do you get farmers involved? <laughs> <laughs> no, is, again, uh, is there a trick? Is there a secret? Or do, no, you actually it? allow. I mean, so you know, to be totally candid, we're in California, uh, and right. and the way policy uh, is usually implemented, and I would hold up minimum wage laws, overtime regulation, you know, the policies, um, uh, regulation on the use of fumigants by farmers, the various policies that imp- impact farmers um, are often crafted without any input from farmers, mm. uh, mm-hmm. um, that they serve some larger ideal. And again, we and, and I do believe that California lawmakers have the best of intentions, um, but they're just not part of the process. You invite growers in to be part of designing policy, and what you will get is innovative um, creative solutions and and farmers are realistic about their interest is really in the long-term sustainability right, of the right, ground that they, right, exactly. they operate on. I, I just I I grew up in an ag community and 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 the respect that you which have which one's that which one's that Ridgefield Washington okay. home of the fighting sputters our high school mascot was sputters a potato the an, an angry potato okay. with a crown <laughs> you can you can shake them you can bake them but you'll never take them we have we have shockers oh. in the family do you know what a shocker is shocker is that a is that a clam what it's is wheat that's no, wheat it's yeah. wheat yeah yeah oh. so we have shockers oh, that's nice. which these shocker. are all <laughs> valid T-shirt ideas but guys my, uh, my, I want the T-shirt my point is is that is that um. If you ever want to meet somebody who knows how to deal with adversity and knows how to deal with a problem and knows how to solve a problem, like you, like you just said so so beautifully, like like realistically and like economically, that's a farmer because they've they've a grower sure. because they've had to go through right you know years and years and years of of keeping a, a business uh, going that yeah. is so fragile and based on what's growing in your field. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah, and they're part of a global market now yeah. uh, right. they don't control the price uh, they're operating on very thin margins yeah we were in dubai five years ago and great growing place that dubai. unbelievable uh, 100 of everything is imported and yeah. Yeah. we're in the market yeah. 
and I see bagged lettuce. We're used to bagged lettuce. Oh, man. From Santa Barbara. No way. <laughs> Santa <laughs> Barbara lettuce. Yeah. And I'm like, I had to take a picture. Here yeah. I am in So Dubai. I just received, someone just texted me a photo from Iceland of Driscoll's raspberries. Oh, nice. In Iceland, right? So, um, so you're getting this national and, and international recognition. I'm going to throw on, I'm going to pile on there. Uh, one of my clients is Southern California Metropolitan Water yeah. District, which is the largest water district in the world. Yeah. Uh, they believe themselves to be most innovative. I work with the new business group. So they're, uh, what they're looking for is innovation around water. Mm -hmm. So we built a global network for them. So they've got people all over the world that are, how can they add money to ideas with entrepreneurs, things like yeah. that. And what hit me was when I talked to them, I said, oh, so we're looking for technology. And she said, not necessarily, it might be policy. Yeah. So this idea that you have, so I want to make sure that we connect you guys to cool. them, that they're on, you're on their radar, because they, they have a very uh, uh, nice megaphone <laughs> I'm sure. that, that, yeah. that helps. Cool. Um, so I want to I'm going to vector off because we we you know teased at the beginning of the show that there were like four or five things to talk about. But I want to I want to go to the work you're doing at your you're still at school. I mean you're teaching and you're going to school, yep. right? And you're getting your doctorate, mm -hmm. and you're at one of my favorite places, the Bren School of Environmental Science and Management out yep. at UCSB. Tell me what you're doing there. Okay, so I'm a PhD student, very close to finishing. Uh, okay, I hope to defend my dissertation shortly. Yes. Wow, uh, is that what you have to have a sword and a shield? <laughs> uh, well, that remains to be seen. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I can't say enough wonderful things about the Bren School. Yeah. Um, not just the people, uh, and there are certainly fabulous people, um, but really the spirit of collaboration. Uh, it's a unique department. It's a multidisciplinary department exactly. at UC Santa Barbara. There's natural scientists, social scientists, meaning psychologists, economists, um, political scientists, uh, and there's just this, and they're producing just incredible multidisciplinary work. Uh, and what's unique is they're modeling um, how these different disciplines can work together and, and create greater value where the sum is more than the parts. Uh, and so um, they have. It's been deeply influential in the way I approach research questions. It's been deeply influential in terms of mm. my desire to influence policy, um, and so uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a tremendous experience being a part of that department. I want to get Steve Gaines on the show. Yeah, cool. D do you have interaction with him? Um, not much. So so he's not one of he's not on my committee. Um, so I do uh, you know. Uh, just around campus at, at just events and that sort of thing. Drawing up a wanted poster there for Steve Gaines. Just <laughs> well, no, because I'm uh, recruited him for TEDx Santa Barbara. Oh, nice. yeah, yeah. I'm really interested in ocean, the ocean as a food source and yeah. energy source, and how it contributes yeah. to the ecology. Yeah, yeah, and I should I should call out that uh, the Bren School has a reputation for work in environmental markets. So again, uh, even the, the the specific solutions that are being implemented in Ventura County are. In, are influenced by Bren, their faculty. Uh, we have some economists that did early work in in uh, tradable fisheries quotas that I mentioned. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a really remarkable place. What's interesting about this region, listener who doesn't live here, <laughs> is um, things that have started here that have gone on to affect major change around the world. Um, the, uh, a big one is uh, Earth Day. Yeah. Right. That's an example, but there are a lot of those examples. 
Is there anybody doing what you're doing in Ventura County elsewhere, the, the way you're doing it? Yeah, so what's, what's interesting, uh, so first of all, there are water markets, right, cap-and-trade style water markets uh, in other states, so Kansas, Nebraska, Washington, um, and uh, Colorado have water markets of varying degrees of uh, size and complexity. Uh, California, this is pretty unique um, just because of the way water rights and what water rights law is in California. It's much harder to do it here. But I will say this, what's happening throughout California is that groundwater basins throughout the state are writing sustainability plans that were mandated uh, by the state legislature. Mm. Uh, a law called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act applies to 96% of all groundwater extractions in the state. And so these plans are being written in basins throughout the state. Uh, what's amazing is that uh, Ventura County was well ahead of the curve. Mm. We already had a regulator in place. We were metering in the 90s. Mm. There had been um, modest cuts to extraction over the years. Uh, and so we had, we had a regulatory infrastructure that much of the rest of the state doesn't have. And so we're just merely way out in front. Our goal is to take the success that we're seeing in Ventura County and then try and replicate that in these other basins uh, because there are a lot of basins trying to figure this out right, right. now. And they, have, they only have until 2020 to do it. So I'm going to change back again, Victor, another left turn. So when you're doing your forecast project, you're looking at all of the businesses, mm -hmm. right, in, in Ventura County, is that correct? So we do a Ventura County regional forecast, yeah. And what's the number one business? Um, well, do you mean industry sector or do you mean... Uh, yeah, sure, like industry business? sector. I mean, so the big ones, the big, uh, so we have, um, you know, biotech is really big. So Amgen's one of the largest companies in the county. Yep. Uh, Naval Base Ventura County is one of the biggest. Hmm. Uh, yep. And then the ag sector uh, is very big. Uh, and so those are sort of the three legs of the stool that we see. Got it. Uh, and, and each of those, uh, or at least two of those, are under varying degrees of, of uh, threat, you know, going forward. Uh, no, absolutely. So obviously uh, non-durable manufacturing like the work done at Amgen, um, has uh, declined sharply since the recession. Many of those jobs are never coming back to the county. Mm. In fact, Amgen just announced last week that they're reducing their workforce by 10%, relocating those jobs to other um, less costly venues. Um, ag is, I would say, in an existential um, struggle um, between the water issues, uh, overtime and um, minimum wage pay requirements, uh, and um, restrictions on um, use of fumigants and that sort of thing. So uh, ag is under tremendous stress in the county. Uh, but those are the three uh, legs of the stool. So, the, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of economic micro clusters, if you will. Yeah. Um, which one is kind of growing that was kind of surprised you in this last year, last couple of years? Well, so what's interesting and what's actually a little troubling is that uh, the, the sectors that we see growing uh, in, in our county, in Ventura County, are actually um, the real low wage, low education sectors. So uh, healthcare, um, uh, education, and um, and then um, leisure and hospitality are actually, there are actually only a few sectors that are even up relative to the pre-recession high, um, and it's unfortunately Service sectors industry. that don't pay enough for you for you to live here. Yeah, and so yeah. as a result, what we see in the county is increasingly a commuter culture. Eight, uh, Eighty thousand people leave the county every day 
to find work somewhere else oh. that will pay them a salary that allows them to live in, the, in Ventura. <laughs> and 40,000 people drive into the county every day mostly to work in service sector jobs that don't pay enough for them to live here. So. Yeah. So does your policy interest extend to solving that problem? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. So, uh, so I would argue that, uh, um, that one of the primary drivers um, is actually land use policy uh, in Ventura County. So, Give me an example. Well, so we actually have the strictest urban growth controls of any county in the United States. More than Santa Barbara? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. so explain what, to, in layman's terms, yeah, what so, that means. Well, so what we did back in the 90s, and again, um, you know, Ventura County was very forward-looking. They were trying to, uh, the goal uh, is a goal I'm, I proudly champion, which was preserving open space, preserving, um, you know, sensitive habitat, preserving the environmental amenities that Ventura County has. And our solution was to impose a, a growth boundary around each of the cities, and then to require, uh, to take uh, decision making away from policymakers and uh, actually require a, um, uh, a majority vote of the entire electorate in order to uh, approve land use changes. And uh, the electorate is, is decidedly anti-growth. Um, so outside right. of Santa Paula, which is, which is a unique city in its own way, um, we have rejected 12,000 acres of additional urban expansion and only approved 41. So it's a stark record. 41 acres. acres. Yeah, and, and that was not anything we would even recognize as urban growth. That's about the size of a big parking lot. Yeah, and it was it was expanding, uh, as I recall, a, uh, um, a church property, uh, and another one was was uh, a retirement community expansion. So these are it's not even what we would re recognize as urban growth. Right. So that's to say we're just not allowing growth of any type, and it means that there's a tremendous scarcity of new building. You know, this is something that Santa Barbara County clearly struggles with as well, yeah. um, but we are, uh, I challenge you to find a, a starker example than Ventura. You know, part of Amgen's press release last week was that um, at the same time that they're relocating these jobs, they're in making a very large investment in Tampa, Florida to build a new um, uh, a new facility for their employees, and they said that uh, Tampa, Florida, that the cost of living was one of the primary drivers for that relocation. Yeah, that's a that's I mean workforce housing, right? Yeah, that's that's right. That, that's the big one, right? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and so Tampa, so, come on, people, Tampa, <laughs> humidity, you like humidity, Tampa, <laughs> Tampa. Yeah, but it shows bugs. You can sink your teeth. Just into. the just the <laughs> just you know, Tampa. We love you, but let's cut it out, Tampa. Yeah, we, we we've got dear friends in Tampa. And yeah. Kimberly's there every month. I I know this. You know, she, we, I'm she, just she loves going, but man, it's not because it's Tampa. She loves going. Right, exactly. It's um, well, that's why people want to live here. And yeah, so this this is a bigger problem than water, isn't it? Oh, uh, I would say they're both big. <laughs> <laughs> they're both huge. But but I'll say this that, that so the conversation that has begun. So uh, um, for people that aren't really familiar with the the political environment in Ventura County, we actually had a vote uh, last November to renew our land use policies, um, and we renewed them to 2050. So uh, we've committed to this system. Uh, and so now that that political battle is over, there's a conversation happening that I hadn't heard at any time previously in the county about, okay, 
what's next? We have to do something. Um, and mm. so, uh, so one of the things that SURF is talking about is, um, is uh, not unlike the water market, a system of tradable development rights. You know, actually trading modest expansion of growth boundaries for permanent preservation of ground. Oh. Uh, so actually, you know, actually buying the development right off right. a piece of land, putting a deed restriction on the title, right. and, and ensuring that it never gets developed, and, and engaging in a market transaction that makes that landowner whole, right. uh, so that they're going to forego development voluntarily. So that's a land trust Kind of, discussion. yeah. That's one way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have a formal market. You could have a land trust that does that. There's a number of ways. I mean, the whole Gaviota Coast is all... Yeah. You know, all bought up and nothing's ever going That's to be right. built there. Yeah, we have right. the Ventura County Hillside Conservancy. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, for those of you not been here, come visit. You'll see why all of this. It, it, it's, a, it's a challenge because a, a, as a citizen living here, I enjoy that. Yeah. As a business person who's, yeah. you know, thinking about, you know, these businesses, we have young entrepreneurs on the show all the time. Yeah. And it's like, okay, dude, you can grow your business to about 40 or 50 people and then yeah. you get to move to Tampa. Yeah. Hey, yeah. And, <laughs> and there's, a, there's a chapter we hadn't touched on yet, um, uh, which is that I moved to Ventura County originally in 1999 to start a commercial rock climbing school. Mm. Um, so of I, course you did. <laughs> so I was... Uh, you know, my business was taking people in the outdoors, showing them this, this incredible landscape from from a few hundred feet up a wall, uh, and so I appreciate the truly unique uh, and wonderful sort of environment that we've that we have here, and, and I feel a tremendous uh, need to, to to ensure its preservation. Um, but I don't think that um, that urban expansion and environmental preservation are mutually exclusive. I think we, there are examples elsewhere where this has been done. Um, the tradable development rights uh, policy has been used elsewhere to balance growth and, preser and environmental preservation. And, and so I, I appreciate everything that's unique about this place. And I think we can have growth. We can reduce income inequality. We can increase economic opportunity um, for middle and lower income households in the, in the region uh, and preserve um, open space and environmental amenities. Sounds like cake and eating it too. I, I, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. and I'm and what I think I'm I hearing is a a, a pre politician here. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> okay, so okay. No, is no, that, we don't uh, get politicians that are thoughtful with doctorate degrees <laughs> and like who understand the complexities of dealing with, you know, mass urbanization. No, we don't get that. What we get is but as know, an advisor. Yeah, to and, them. and and to be clear, I don't envy our policymakers and our politicians and the tremendous strains that are put on them by various interest groups. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have no interest uh, in joining in, that in, league. In, yeah. And so uh, uh, if, if we can make even modest changes to policy, I'll, I'll regard that as a tremendous success. And a, with the water, a tremendously gratifying process to right. be a part of. I mean, just right. to see, to see uh, disparate groups come together and form consensus around policy changes is really gratifying. Last question around economics. We, we have um, entrepreneurs, winners of Startup Weekends. Yeah. There's, there's uh, you know, CLU has the Hub 101. That's right. That's where They're, my office is, actually. Okay. Oh, really? So yeah. There's, yeah. there's nine of those in, in the yeah. 805. That yeah. it's, it's a, they, they get a lot of ink, mm -hmm. right? A lot of press for that. Yeah. How much does that, sli that sector contribute to the overall economy? 
Yeah, that's a tough question to answer. I'm thinking so, it's like yeah. 0.01. Well, so first of all, I'm not going to be able to give you a number. Um, but, but I'll say this, that uh, that um, you know that they're sort of like farmers, right? This is the, the job creators operate uh, in a, basically a hostile business environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a sector that really needs to be supported. And we need to drive, not just allow, but drive innovation anywhere we can find it. Um, and so I see those organizations playing a vital role. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, and what we need to do is expand their, uh, their role by an order of magnitude. We need more and more and more of that. Pre-doctor, can you, um, I, I spout this stupid thing off all the time, and I, I, I've been looking for an economist to explain to me why it's a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. That, that's the, that's yeah. the precursor. We have 45 vacant uh, businesses on State Street in Santa Barbara right now, yeah. which is just, you know, that's, 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 that's a huge economic missing hole there. Yeah. How, why can't, and, and that, that comes down to, in, in, our, in my humble opinion, landlords saying that this is the price of land and this is what we're going to charge for rent and we're not going to support uh, kind of startups. Does yeah, it so let me ask you, uh, I mean, just think in, ter in the terms of the landlord. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the landlord uh, has to recover their own costs or, or they go out of business, uh, you know, uh, they go into default. And um, they... Uh, you know, so their interest is in getting those filled in any way they can. So, so is, I, would just, I would just be careful blaming the landlord uh, because my guess is that, that there's zoning, there's permitting, there's all these other regulations that they operate under right. that actually makes it – they would love to fill that space and they can't. I, well, yes, I, I, I can't dispute that, obviously, not as a, as a landlord. But, but I wonder I've – always, I've always been under the impression that if you have a large portfolio – um, you can use, you could write down the loss of that rent towards the rest of your portfolio. So that that $10,000 for, for a storefront on State Street is, is the same revenue for them one way or the other. They can use it as a write down or they can use it as positive income. And anyway, that's, that's yeah. my confusion on the subject is to say that, that there's a lot of landlords that seem to be willing to let spaces sit for years empty yeah, so as a I, benefit I, to So them. I want to challenge the premise. Uh, my, I would love that. That's why, yeah. that's why I thought. My guess be, actually, because again, what we see, what we see in, uh, in our part of the state is actually that, that the entitlement process is completely onerous. You want to just yeah. make modest change. You want right. to change the sign that hangs on the front of a that's building. True. That's true. You have to go through a multi-year permitting process. And unfortunately, um, laws like CEQA, uh, Environmental Quality Act, uh, give almost anyone uh, in the community, a veto over your change. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I could hold up the Winco grocery store in Ventura um, where there was a sequel lawsuit pulled against a uh, redevelopment of a commercial space. This is a place that had an existing environmental um, report. Uh, it had been in industrial or commercial use for decades, and yet someone can pull an environmental lawsuit hmm. Uh, over changing the sign on the front of the grocery store. Hmm. Uh, and so, so my sympathy is with the landlords. Uh, and my guess is if you dug deep, um, you would actually find that they desperately want to fill those spaces and that, and that they're finding it almost impossible to do. To find viable businesses yeah. that are willing yeah. to locate inside of them. You bet. Yeah. See, that's why I ask. That's why you bring these things up yeah. so you don't walk around spouting that's off jackass information. That's why we do this show. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. our listener wants to know. They don't want to be standing at a, at, a, at a pancake party spouting off some kind of crap that other people they will want to be informed. Yeah. Okay, so there were four things 
I'm coming back. I'm doing yeah. a callback. This is very, you, very efficient. So, so we got... Um, and by the way, if you figure out all these chapters by the end, my wife would like to get a rundown because <laughs> she's still trying to figure it all out. Just email it over to her. Just yes. What your What's your wife's is. name? Uh, Marisa. Hi, Marisa. Marisa. Hi, Marisa. How are you? Um, I want you to tell all of your girlfriends and the other moms to listen to the show. And the other corporate business people that she works with. Yes. And all the corporate business people she works with. Especially all of them. Um, That's Mark's baby boomer showing. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> women only talk to women. No. no. Wow. Now you're mansplaining to me. Yeah, I am. Um, you uh, you have a, another superpower, which is you're an expert in California natural history. Oh. Uh, I don't know if I'm an expert. I have a passion for California natural history. So what is it? I'm going to we'll end the show on yeah. an interesting fact about California natural history that we're just. We're cool. Go. Yeah. And, and, and since we're talking about brand, there's another organization I have to tout is uh, um, home in, in the city of Ventura is Naturalists at Large, uh, a large environmental education company. They run educational programs all over the state. You can learn Redwood What's Ecology. What's it called? Naturalists at Large. Okay. Uh, you can learn desert ecology. Um uh, they're up in the Redwoods. They're out mm-hmm. on Catalina. And I um, I uh, managed one of their marine programs out on Catalina Island for three and a half years and developed just a tremendous appreciation Do for... Do you sleep? Uh, <laughs> developed a tremendous appreciation for, uh, for California natural history. And through that platform, got to learn about all regions of... Of California and California so spill, is a I wonderland. Want, give, us, give us one. I want well, so so I lived on an island. So let's talk. One of my favorite topics is uh, island biogeography. Why biogeography is why do we see the things in the natural world where we see them? And islands are are wonderful um, uh, laboratories for biological experimentation. Uh, yes. Uh, and so um, I lived on Catalina Island. We have the uh, Channel Islands National Park right here. And there's a great theory uh, in biology called the bread box theory, which is that when mm-hmm. organisms disperse to islands, um, uh, if they're smaller than a bread box, they, um, there's relatively little competition for resources, and they tend to evolve over time into gigantic subspecies of, their, of, of the species they uh, um, dispersed as. So for example, um, we have uh, gigantic quail, gigantic ground squirrels, uh, mm-hmm. and, and arborescent uh, shrubs that are shrubs on the mainland and they're giant towering trees on the islands because mm. those are uh. things that were smaller than a bread box. If you're bigger than a bread box, you get out there and you're basically in a state of starvation all the time. There aren't enough resources for large animals. And so what we see is a dwarf, dwarf. species. Yeah. So we have the dwarf uh, island fox. We had a dwarf uh, mammoth. But the hawk. Well, we had the a mammoth? Yeah, yeah so the pygmy mastodon, That's right? pygmy, yeah, that lived yeah, out yeah, on the yeah, challenge. Right. And they were the size of a horse, right? And these oh, are- Oh, that's so cute. Yes, you know, the, right? You know, the Colombian mammoth on the mainland was 18 feet high at the shoulder, and there's these horse-sized mammoths tromping around on the islands. That and would so, be so good for the so internet. What's so cool <laughs> is that California's a wonderland. Islands are- Wonderlands, and these are right here off our shore. Oh, um, this is our backyard, and these things are happening um, as we speak. So you can still see mammoths on Catalina? Is that Wait. what we're thinking <laughs> about? <from laughs> <You this? can. laughs> Actually, you should go to the visitor center in the Ventura uh, Harbor, yeah. uh, the challenge, the and they, have a, they actually have a skeleton. Oh, man. I get to spend a weekend in the field station, the UCSB field station on yeah. Anacapa Island. Awesome. It was spectacular. It awesome. is. I had no idea... Yeah. 
and you go out there and it's just yeah and i, I lived in a, a marine treat. sanctuary on the west end of catalina you know mm. they have the, the the world's largest marine slug lives oh. there um, so it's just you know the islands off our shore are are uh, just this story of fabulous fantastic amazing things so of all these uh, interests that you have um I'm just, it was just great to have you on the show because we, we, there were so many different things which all, I think, go to inform the day job, right, yeah. in a really nice way. Um, our, where can we find out more information if we want to get the forecast or we want to get the water? There's, yeah, I would encourage, I would encourage listeners to visit um, clusurf.org. So that's clucerf.org. Yep. Um, that's our website. Um, you can also reach us through the, uh, um, CLU's calutheran.edu website. Uh, and then also, um, uh, I should plug our uh, Master's of Quantitative Economics program. Uh, so I teach in the Graduate Economics program at CLU, and, and the workplace is demanding quantitative skills uh, more than ever. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think we have a really unique program uh, for people looking for hardcore quantitative training. Absolutely. And is the rock climbing business still a business? <laughs> yeah, Earthworks Climbing School. Hmm. Um, and we operate, um, you know, in the environs around Santa Barbara and Ojai. Um, and some years we pull a permit in Joshua Tree National Park and get hmm. to venture even beyond uh, the local neighborhood. I love that. Um, so our, our listener loves this part of the show when we um, quiz our guests, and you've listened to the show, so you know this is coming, um, to come up with a title for this conversation. And so... <laughs> Maybe but, didn't know this yeah. was coming. <laughs> What should we call our show, this conversation? Hmm. And we have plenty of time. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, how about this? Fundamental change is possible. All right, so I would say sure. my story is one of, of, of uh, various chapters where there were fundamental changes in the direction of my life. Uh, and what I'm seeing right now play out in Ventura County is fundamental change to policies that make a difference. Um, I liked the part where your dad was an avid photographer, and so you kind of pursued that. And uh, there, I, I used to work at, I work at a lot of art schools, and, and there's this conversation of like, well, how are you ever going to have a meaningful life with an art degree? Like, how could that ever yeah. turn into anything? Yeah. And I look at it and I say, well, just maybe at some point you'll be, you know, an economist. <laughs> like, like <laughs> statistics <laughs> show that... Yeah. Well, actually... Uh, um, you can imagine the uncomfortable conversation. So my dad's a physicist, a, a oh. PhD physicist, and you can imagine, Mom, Dad, I'm going to be a climbing guy. <laughs> <laughs> Son, if it's going, if you're going to be happy doing it, that's yeah. all. Well, and the for. coolest piece actually is that in her 50s, uh, my mom actually learned to climb. So oh. a really cool story is that she took lessons for oh. a year. It was a secret. She came out uh, having taken lessons oh. for a year and said, hey, let's go climbing together. Didn't tell you? And didn't tell oh, me. It was really cool. Awesome mom story. Yeah. That's an awesome mom story. That's the best mom story I've heard in yeah. years. So which Matthew did Marissa meet? Ooh, boy, we don't have enough time for the story. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife and I uh, shared a climbing partner for eight years. Uh, and so my roommate um, was an alpinist. So my wife was doing snow and ice and big mountains with him. Um, I was doing technical rock, vertical rock with, with him, uh, and I kept hearing stories about this amazing woman <laughs> saying, who is this girl? Uh, and my, my dear roommate um, uh, kept telling me, I am not a dating service, uh, and, uh, and, and really feared that, that our personal friendship would be ruined 
um, by a girl. And so for eight years, we passed like ships in the night. Um, she would literally come and stay in our condo. But Matt, my roommate, would schedule trips when I was out of town. Because if I was in town, he wanted to climb with me. Uh, and uh, so uh, fortunately, uh, fortunately, she didn't meet me back in those days when I was uh, starting a climbing business, trying to figure out how to rub <laughs> two pennies together. Um, and uh, we didn't meet until eight years later. Um, and uh, I was in a much uh, healthier, uh, economically healthier place in my life. Sure. Um, and uh, and, uh, and now you're going to be a doctor. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for being with us on the show. My and pleasure. Shout out to Gerhardt. Gerhardt keeps sending us the smart ones. We love it. Uh, we appreciate that so much. I, I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press. If you're interested in partnering with us, just drop us a note to partner at 805connect.com. Patrick. Yeah, Mark. How can our listener help us today? Well, in addition to rate, write, and review, and you know, we say those words, and you hear a lot of those words on podcasts. Yeah. And I just, I want to challenge anybody out there who's who's u- utilizing my this is my NPR moment. If okay. you're utilizing a podcast, if that yeah. is part of your regime every day, that's yeah. part of what gets you through uh, those those moments of of travel in your commute sure. or your house cleaning or. Or just, you know, simply when you're ignoring a spouse. Uh, that's <laughs> Feel free, which you probably shouldn't be ignoring, but uh, feel free to, 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 to let us know through, through, a rate, through the rating system. Throw us some stars or write us a review. Um, that's really like more valuable than you could possibly understand. More valuable than sending us a check every month for a subscription. That's really uh, where it's at. Rate, write, and view, review for us. Um, and then, you know, most importantly, you know, call your mom and find out something you don't know about her. You know, give that a shot. Right? Yeah. She I might be she might be learning rock climbing right now <laughs> in an effort to come and surprise you what an amazing thing that would be. What a surprise that must have been. I I would love to hear from you uh, if you've got questions or you have an idea for a guest. Um, they uh, 100% of our guests come from your uh, submissions. So uh, keep it up. Like we're we're booked way months in advance. I can't wait to have some of these conversations. You can drop me a line at market at 805connect.com. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. 